When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, August 15th, the Euro Trip edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer and editor at Slate and the author of the forthcoming book, How to Be a Family. And I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 14, and Harper, who turns 12 today. Happy birthday, Harper. Hi, I'm Jamila Lemieux. I am a writer and cultural critic and communication strategist, mother to Naima, who is in the room with me right now. So if you hear some uh, youthful glee and or parental uh, reprimands, please excuse us. And she's six years old. Sometimes she's six months, sometimes she's 16. Just depends on the day of the week. We've all been there, Jamila. Uh, All right. Today on the show, we've got a question from a listener about second guessing a second kid. And we've also got a worried mom whose kid wants to go to Europe and she wants to know whether she should let him. Plus, triumphs and fails and recommendations as always. But let's start with triumphs and fails. Jamila, do you have a triumph or a fail for us today? I think I have a triumph this week. Um, I... You know, as we talked about last few weeks, making this uh, New York to California move after my child uh, has relocated out here in, in California at the moment. And for the past four days, we've been reunited and it's been really great. And she's happy and healthy and she still loves her mother, despite the fact that she spent most of the summer away from me. And I feel good. I, I feel that I have... Um, managed to somehow uh, parent from afar a little bit and that her dad and stepmom have done such a phenomenal job with her this summer. And I'm at peace with uh, the decision that we made to, A, leave our home and everything that we knew in Brooklyn, and also um, to to take my time getting there and, and making sure that I found an apartment that we really like and work stuff was straight and you know that I was able to close the books on my life in New York um I'm also giving myself all this all these accolades while I'm now watching my daughter play with a vape pen can you please don't we don't touch that thank you but aside from that (laughs) I'm winning that's the that's the greatest (laughs) triumph ever reported on this podcast Jamila That was Thank fantastic. You. I'm so glad that you are feeling good about this. I know that it has been a real struggle of a summer, um, and I'm hopeful for you that it is all on its way toward resolution because it seems like that's what you really need at this point is resolution and a place yes, to be absolutely. 
Resolution. And to not have this be a thing you're worrying about anymore. Yes, to, to actually rest my head in the same city where my child lives for good and and be okay with, you know, uprooting her after kindergarten and making her find all new friends. What about you, Dan? What are your, Do you have a triumph or a fail for this week? Uh, I have a fail, but first I'll tell you that we did it. We uprooted our kid at this exact age and moved them somewhere else from New York to somewhere else, and it worked out great. And I, I also believe it will work out great for you. Um, I have a fail. My fail is that I am fucking sick of thinking about my children's teeth. Wait, you're sick? Um, I'm sorry, you said you're sick of what? Uh, my children's teeth. Okay. I'm completely sick of thinking about my children's teeth. Mm-hmm. Here is the backstory. Yes. <clears throat> uh, I have two daughters. Mm-hmm. They both have teeth, a full set, uh, you know, top and bottom teeth, all the teeth that you're supposed to have in your head. Um, but their teeth are sort of crooked. Mm-hmm. Um, Harper's teeth are like, you know, a little bit crooked. Lyra's teeth are a little bit more crooked. Um and I had always sort of thought of the question of braces as just like a hypothetical question out there in the future that I – surely I would never have to deal with it. Like my parents paid, I assume, trillions of dollars when I was between the ages of 12 and 15 to put braces on my teeth. And I never wore my rubber bands. Mm-hmm. And my teeth never moved. And so they just kept paying all this money and nothing ever happened. And eventually they took my braces off and my teeth looked exactly the same. Um But I always sort of thought, well, like, I mean, it's 2000, you know, it's the 21st century. Surely they figured out a way to make braces cheap and easy and they work all the time. And by the time my kids need them, they'll have some kind of like laser thing where they shoot lasers at your teeth and Mm -hmm. they're straight the way that now they can just shoot lasers at your eyes and you can see. Um, But it turns out none of that is true. It turns out that my kids do need braces and dentists want to put them on them. And they would just be big-ass metal braces on their teeth, and they still cost insane amounts of money. So now, at the ages of 12 and 14, uh, my kids have been told by a kindly dentist, the same dentist who's taken care of them forever, oh, yes, you absolutely need braces. And we have been told that it's going to cost something like $10,000. Um, and I, like, could not – believe it. Even though in the back of my head, I sort of knew, secretly knew this information, right? I'd heard people complaining about this, but the idea of spending $10,000 to straighten my kids' teeth is now driving me insane. And they, both my daughters have said they are interested in this. They would, they would feel better and more comfortable and happier, they think, if their teeth were straighter, which I understand. And, of course, the dentist, in conveying this information to us, has been like, well, it's absolutely crucial, of course, that you do it right now. And and I – and, you know, we are like, well, why? And they're like, well, if you don't, you know, take care of all these problems now, they could be at increased risk of TMJ in their 50s. Oh, my God. And I'm like, really? That's that's the health concern? Like – that that's the real health issue that is your argument for why this is not just purely cosmetic. Um, but that's all that the dentist has. So now I – my fail is that I absolutely am looking for a way to convey to my children, let's just do your teeth later 
when you have a job and you can pay for them? And I know that that's not the right answer. I know that's not the kind thing to do to two girls who are rapidly approaching, like, the peak years of teenagehood. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea of spending that much money on braces has just driven me mad. Uh, and I don't know what to do about it. I do not like this version of myself that is so resentful of my children and the money I'm spending on them. Um, because I've spent so much money on them, on everything else in their mm-hmm. entire life. But yet this thing is the thing where I'm like, ugh, I don't want to do that. So I've turned into a child who does not want to do this thing. Talk me off the ledge. Explain to me why I, I just need to pony up. Yes, I'm sitting here. First of all, know that we're in the same position, except for you mentioned that they have all their teeth. A dentist recently told um, my, my little one's dad and stepmom that when she loses her one of her two front teeth, there's nothing there behind it to grow oh. in. So one is already gone and has grown in. So she's got this one adult tooth that's just hanging out. And then there's the baby tooth, but there's nothing behind the baby tooth. I'm like, I need to hear this for myself because I've never heard of such a thing. The diagnosis was absolutely going to need braces, had to get a couple of silver caps or whatever, and will need a fake tooth. Like they're going to have to make her right. a tooth and that she would probably need vene- want veneer someday. I'm like, I want veneer someday, too. What do you mean? (laughs) But so all that to say, I feel you. I relate. I thought I was going to get the, you know, $10,000 teeth before my child did. But apparently we're going to be competing for that. Um, But I'll say, one, I'm going to make her start a YouTube channel so she can pay for some of this stuff Mm -hmm. herself. So you can also consider having them figure out some sort of employment to help. But two, as the kid who could not afford braces until halfway through high school and my teeth were jacked up and I literally would like talk with my hand over my mouth at time. You hear her in the background like, oh, yes, this this all did mm-hmm. happen. Um, I would talk with my hand over my mouth. I was so insecure about my teeth. And, you know, I was so grateful to have braces. You have to do it. There's, there's, there's nothing. This is not violin lessons. This isn't swim camp. Not that those things aren't, you know, good and necessary for raising a happy, well-adjusted child. But if they can't look at themselves in the mirror, it takes one kid to make fun of your teeth. You know, like it's, it's different than weight. It's different than height. It's a, I don't even know how to put it in words, but that is a rough thing to have to struggle with. And, and you know, maybe they're not that bad, but you you, you got to do it, Dad. You got to do is it. Is there a way? You got to do is it. Is there a way to go to a dentist and be like, all right, I want my kid's teeth to be straight-ish, but whatever all the, like, extra year of braces you were going to do to remove the 10% chance of jaw problems at age 48, can you not do that part? Or is it just all part and parcel? Like, no matter what, they're just going to do that. I think it's it's all part and parcel. I think you just suck it up and do it and hope that when, you know, they're taking care of you, that they remember this and get you the deluxe room with the mm-hmm. veranda in Shady mm-hmm. Pines. <laughs> as opposed to, you know, being angry that you never got them the braces that they needed and deserved and, um, you know, putting them in a room with no window or putting you in a room with no window, I should say. That's good. It's a good to think of this as an investment in my own future in that way. Um, all right. Thank you. You've talked me off the ledge. Um, 
I'm sure I will climb back on the ledge at some point. You know, sometimes advertisers on this show are very kind and send us a, a sample of their product so we can try it out um, and see, you know, how we feel about this product or that product. So we have real anecdotes to tell. So if any pediatric orthodontists in the Arlington area would like to advertise and mom and dad are fighting, I'm just saying we have slots available. <laughs> hey, anywhere in, in their planes go places. It, it could be any pediatric orthodontist in the United States. That's true. We or we could, you, right? we could do some orthodontic tourism in Costa Rica. Um, all right. <laughs> Before we move on uh, to the rest of the show, let's talk some business. Please sign up for Slate's parenting newsletter. It's the best place to learn about new episodes of Mom and Dad are Fighting, plus care and feeding and all our other parenting content. Plus, it's just like a weird thing that I write every Thursday between 1 and 2 p.m. when I just come up with whatever the hell I can think of and send it out to 3,000 of my closest friends. You can sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. Once again, that's slate.com slash parenting email. As always, if you have a question you would like us to answer on the air, call us. Leave us a message at 424-255-7833. Or you can email us at slate.com if you would like Shasha to read your question out loud. And check us out on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting on your Facebook app or desktop your choice. It is a really fun community. Um, we moderate it. I just banned a bunch of jokers this morning. So it's a good place to be. Lots of good conversations and questions and parents raising each other up and helping each other out. It is uh, maybe maybe the only good thing about Facebook. I mean, I'm not going to guarantee that, but that might be it. On Slate Plus today, uh, we are talking to Naima about Denny's. Here's a quick sneak peek. These ones are really special because they have characters on them, on the straws, too. And they have all, they have one character on the, they have one character on the straw, then they have the rest of them on the cup. To hear segments like that and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus is Slate's membership program. It is a great way to support all that Slate.com does. For just $35 for your first year, you can help to cover the cost of producing this very show and all your other favorite Slate podcasts. And of course, in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of Mom and Dad are Fighting and other great Slate shows, plus a ton of other great benefits. Like today, you'll get to hear Naima tell us about Denny's. So... If you would like to support Mom and Dad or Fighting, go to slate.com slash mom and dad plus and join Slate Plus today. That's slate.com slash mom and dad plus. And finally, the most important business, the most important announcement is I just want to give an update on Lyra's reading quest, the list of 100 books that I handed to Lyra um, earlier this summer. Um, with recommendations to her that she with with the responsibility to her that she read twenty five of them, um, and and then the negotiated award that she worked out with me, which is that if she reads all hundred, she gets to go to Disneyland. Um, current state is that she has read thirty two of the books. Um, wow. That is correct. 32 of the 100 books um, with about one month left in the summer. She's obviously doing very well. She's already hit my minimum and has rocketed right past it. Um, For those who saw the list that we published on Slate, um, you might be wondering what she has liked and hated. I can report, my sources tell me, 
that her favorite book so far was Kurt Vonnegut's Galapagos, which is also a book I recommend a lot for kids that age. I mean, these were all books I recommended, but this one in particular, I loved. It was my first, the first Kurt Vonnegut I ever read. It was so weird. It blew my mind. Um, and she also really, really loved it. She was like, I didn't like know that books could do stuff like that. Um, and then the book she hated the most, oh my God, did she hate it was A Spell for Chameleon, the first of the Xanth novels by Piers Anthony. That was also a book that I took a lot of heat for when I posted the list. People were like, everyone knows he's a sexist. Uh, those books suck. If you remember them as good, you're wrong. Um, and I'm here to tell all the haters who tweeted at me, it turns out you're right. Lyra hated those books and they're sexist. So you win. Um, so she will not be reading the rest of the Xanth novels. But she did really enjoy yelling at me about a spell for chameleon for like 15 minutes. And I enjoyed hearing what she had to say about it because she had some extremely pointed critiques of that novel. Nickelodeon's got your preschoolers covered from sunrise to bedtime with four brand new podcasts. Grab their backpack and go on a culinary quest with Dora's recipe for adventure. Make game time great time with Let's Guess Who with Josh and Blue. And tuck in for adventure with Nickelodeon's Goodnight Bedtime Stories. Plus, we've got a brand new season of Storytime with Josh and Blue. Search Nickelodeon on your favorite podcast app to listen. All right, let's move on to our listener questions. We've got two today. This first question was emailed to us. If you would like to email us your question for us to answer on the air, send it to slate.com And it, like this question, will be read by the one and only Shasha Leonard. Take it away, Shasha. Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. I am the very proud mother of an almost two-year-old little girl. She is an amazing kid, and the way she has completed our family is wonderful. My issue is my husband and I are starting to come up on when or if to have a second kid. I feel like this is such a silly thing to write in about, but the jump from one kid to two is so much harder for me than going from zero to one. I can handle needle pricks at prenatal appointments, most likely another C-section, and those first few months of delirium. What scares me more is the overwhelming financial aspects of having another kid. My husband and I both have student loans, but even with one of our sets of loans paid off, it wouldn't even cover half of daycare costs. I know deep down I want another baby. I am so close to my sister, and I want my daughter to have that as well. It would be fine if my husband and I decided we were one and done, but I feel like the financial cost of daycare and student loans are dictating my family size. So what do we do? Say, whatever, we'll figure it out, we'll pay for it later, like some of our other friends that have started trying for a number two? Talk in circles about the cost of a kid until the age gap is too large for me? Come to terms with the fact that the state of student loans and sky-high daycare costs just prohibit us from being larger than a family of three? I feel lost and sad, and then I feel silly for feeling this way. Any advice is appreciated. Thank you. Please don't feel silly for feeling this way. This is a question that that almost every parent I know has dealt with at some point, whether they chose in the end not to have a second kid or they chose to try for a second kid. Um, this is this is so universal a question that uh, to think of it as a silly thing to write in about is, I think, um, giving yourself far too little credit for the things that you are thinking and the feelings that you are feeling. So let's start with that. Way back 
in the very early days of this podcast in like 2014, um, I we had a par- an episode on parenting ambivalence. It was a really interesting episode, um, and I really clearly remember something I said back then, and I, in fact, took a bunch of shit for it when I said it. Here is what I said. Roll it, Jess. Here is what I tell people when they when they ask me this question, or even sometimes if they haven't asked me at all. I say, if you feel ambivalent about having a kid, don't have a kid because the world certainly does not need more kids right this exact second. Kids upend your life so totally and completely that the only really good reason to have one is that you absolutely know that that is what you want right But now. who absolutely knows that? Allison challenged me there, and my argument was some people do. I did. Allison said, we never knew. Anyways, a bunch of people yelled at me about that. Um, I still believe that. But in the case of your particular letter, the vibe I get from your letter, the sense I get from it, is that you aren't ambivalent. You're not ambivalent about having a kid. You're worried about the financial strain that having a kid will put you under. But you're not ambivalent about having the kid. You want the kid. It's what you really want. Um, So in this case, my advice is, sure, have the kid. You know, people have kids under financial strain all the time. People raise their kids under modest means, under the shadow of student loans all the time. I bet more people are raising kids in America uh, in debt than are raising kids in America completely financially afloat. And they all still love and care for those kids and raise them the best they can and do fine by them. Um, You know, if your college loans mean, as they do for many people, that you have college degrees, I, I bet you and your husband can find a way to make enough money so that your two children will not starve or be raised by wolves. Maybe one of you works double shifts. Maybe one of you makes a career change from a thing that you're doing that doesn't pay very well, but you love it, to something that you don't really love, but which pays better. Maybe you recruit your family to babysit, but people pull it off all the time in America. And and I have no reason to think you can't pull it off too if you want it that much. Now, if all the stuff I'm saying right now has you thinking – Ah, boy, that all sounds terrible. That makes me feel pretty ambivalent about it. After all, then my advice is don't have the kid. But what do you think, Jamila? You know, I'm part of me is inclined to agree with you, but um, I don't know. I one, I'd be curious to know: Are they paying? Uh, you know, they they talk about having a lot of student loan debt. Are they paying it down in a way? So, you know, with the goal of having it paid off by a certain amount of time, you know, could they be paying less per month or is there, you know, like, is this a fixed um, obligation that they're going to have, you know, for the next 10 or 20 years and they know that they can't get out of it? Um, You know, I also think as somebody who grew up, my my mother, um, single parent, you know, support and participation from my father, but very modest means, you know, we lived in a very small apartment and, you know, didn't own a car, didn't go on vacations. Uh, I lived in a really nice neighborhood and was exposed to a lot of great stuff through that and and didn't quite realize that, you know, you could say we were poor, right? Um, Not in the way that the lights would be off or that food would be sparse, but, you know, it it was a very modest lifestyle that we had. And I would not want, um, you know, and, and my own finances being, you know, 
sometimes better than others, but in general, being able to take my kids to get new clothes when she needs or wants them and to do fun things and that we've gotten to travel. And, you know, she, she's been all over the country and I didn't go on a plane until I was 16. And I think of how much that means to me and and knowing that like, say if I had a second child right now, that would be compromised. You know, I would say, you know, your, your little one is still quite young. If you had another child in three years, they would still be close enough in age to be close to each other. You know, maybe try to figure out the money piece first. Um, you know, finances destroy marriages. They, they tear households apart. They, you know, God forbid one of the parents gets sick. Yeah, I think I'm on team. Don't have another baby until you feel like you can afford it. This is really interesting because I think everything you say is absolutely right. That that you that financial strain can be a real burden on a family. That you don't know if a child might be born chronically ill or with something, some issue that might cost huge amounts of money beyond what you are ever imagining. But these all seem to me to be the exact same questions that every family trying to figure out whether they want to have a second kid has. They don't seem unique to this couple. I mean, they seem universal to everyone who isn't, you know, like a a Walton. Um, And, and so I just feel like bazillions of people every year think about all these things and decide they want a kid despite all of the things that could go wrong or all of the problems that it might cause because the need in their heart for that child outweighs all the possible bad things they can imagine. Um, That's the decision we all make, no matter what, for a first kid and for a second kid. And so I think, I feel as though these feel to me like arguments in favor of if you If what your heart wants is the child, have the child and figure it out. And maybe things go badly, but that's been true of everyone in the history of the universe. I think it's less about the what ifs than it is the what is, right? And so it sounds to me like she's saying if they have another child, they're going to be broke. You know, and and that is not something that I would recommend signing up for uh, if you can avoid it. It, It's not fun not having money. And again, you know, there there is the the option of saying, let's, you know, maybe we have some lean times now. Maybe we start saving. Maybe we, you know, um, take on a part time job now before there is another baby so I can save up and and we can have the first year of daycare you know we can have funds for that and and I can apply for jobs that pay more and you know like I I think there's a way to get to that point where uh, bringing another child in would make more sense but you know the idea of signing up for what could very easily be 18 years of, of great difficulty even if the child doesn't have these other extenuating circumstances. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I think her, her anxiety is a little bit different than just like, you know, a, a well-off family or a family that has, you know, say we have a combined household income of 350K a year and we have to take our child out of the $40,000 preschool and, and put them in, you know, something a little bit more affordable now that they're two children. I think this may be a matter of, can we afford daycare for a second child at all? Which to me says, then you, it, this is not the time for a second child. Here's one other thing I would say to this 
uh, letter writer. In my opinion, wanting your daughter to have a sibling to be close to is not a good reason to have a second kid. I'm really glad that you are so close to your sister, but you say you want your daughter to have that as well. But please remember that you have no control over whether your current child and your possible future child end up liking each other. You can't count on that. It's not fair to your daughter to count on that and put that pressure on her. It's not fair to the second. It's not. <clears throat> it's not fair to the second kid you might have. Um, and also, the age gap between your real kid and your theoretical second kid doesn't matter. It doesn't have anything to do with whether they're going to be close or not. Honestly, like if you rush to have a kid now because that age gap really matters to you. I just don't think there's going to be any functional difference between if you take Jamila's advice and wait it out a couple of years and see what happens. Like making it, if your decision truly is based on this dream you have of two close siblings, two years apart in age who play together and love each other forever, like don't make that part of the calculus because that is the thing you have the least control over. All right. Uh, thank you for reaching out to us. I hope that our conflicting advice was somewhat helpful. Um, I still, I think I'm on team. It sounds like you really want it, so you should do it. But Jamila may, I think, have a more reasonable level-headed answer on this one. If you would like us to be somewhat helpful to you, please drop us an email at momanddad at slate.com. That's what this listener did before they sent us this, our second question. Once again, read by Shasha Leonard. Hi, Mom and Dad. We're the parents of a 16-year-old son. He's generally responsible, but also loses his stuff all the time and makes decisions like a typical 16-year-old boy. This summer, he went on a Rotary Club youth exchange to Spain. He flew to Spain and spent three weeks with a Spanish family, and then he and his 17-year-old exchange brother flew to the U.S. and spent three weeks with us. While he was in Spain, we didn't have much contact with him, as the Rotary Club suggests, and we're okay with that. It turns out he only spent a week of those three weeks actually with the family and the rest of the two weeks traveling around Spain with his exchange brother. A music festival, flying to another city in Spain, ending up in some mountains in France at some point, etc. The two boys have hatched a plan to travel around Europe for a month next summer. My husband and I didn't dismiss this plan and gave them initial positive feedback. Then we hit a couple of snags in our support of the plan. One, we've been cautioned by some seasoned traveler friends that since our son will only be 17 next summer, they thought there were risks involved in case he had medical issues or trouble at any borders. And two, we learned that the Spanish brother has already traveled to Western Europe and wants this trip to include Turkey, Poland, Serbia, Romania, etc. This seems like a far cry from the Spain, France, Italy trip I was envisioning. So my question is this, what do you think? Would you let your 17-year-old boy fly to Eastern Europe, including Turkey, to meet a friend and travel by train for a month? Thanks for your thoughts. Sincerely, not usually so nervous, mom and dad. I, yeah, this is wife's folk shit, for real. I, like, you all are, like, living a whole entire different world. <laughs> because, like, I read the letter a few times before we started recording I, I just listened to it and I'm just still like wow I was not allowed to stay at my own house like my house 
by myself for a few days when my mother went to Florida. <laughs> I was that age. Like I couldn't stay in my own home in my own neighborhood. It was like a thing. Like, no, you have to go to your dad's house. I am just kind of astounded at, at that this is even a consideration. Um, I think it's great that you have raised a child that is responsible enough or fortunate enough or, or somewhere in between um, that he made it back safely from the first trip. But I know, I, I, I just think that all the horrifying stories um, that we've heard uh, about young people going abroad and meeting tragic, you know, demises or, or getting caught up with something um, illegal uh, or, or being accused of doing something illegal and find themselves detained at a point in which, spoiler, like your government is really not the one that you want to be looking to to help you because um, at a time like this, I, I'm pretty certain that the president will somehow alienate <laughs> Spain <laughs> and and you know that a call from the U.S. saying we need you know we were trying to get this child back might not be answered in the way that you would want for it to be I like I am my heart is racing at the thought of it no I wish I had a better clear answer but I don't know if there's a possibility in, in which a parent can go and of course ruin everything that these kids had planned, which was probably, you know, wine and um, beer and, and talking about how awful their parents are, that they would allow them, you know, the, the same cool parents that let them go on this trip. But um, I, I just think that he's too young. You know, I, I think that there are some things that we should be able to look forward to um, when we get older. You know, this is almost like giving a kid you know, like their first car at 16 being a BMW. It's like, okay, well, it's good that you were able to afford a BMW for your child, but what did they have to look forward to, you know, when they have their first job or when they graduate from college? You know, I, no, I, no, no, no. This is your baby. This is your baby. Like, no, Dan, help me. Cause I, I just can't get, like, I, I don't even have anything better to say, but just no. No, and the fact that he was deceptive on the last trip, I think, it is a sign that this is not the this is not the thing to do. Like, it's it's great that he you know made it back and has made this friend, but if he wasn't honest with you the last time that he went abroad, what makes you think that by rewarding him and saying, okay, I'm going to let you you know travel with this person again? And, and, you know, be gone for a month that they're not going to say, oh, well, you know, you know, I, I, we can take the train to this place or, you know, we can get a flight here cheap. And and he's still a kid, you know, like adults take advantage of children, you know, like in a foreign an American child. Oh, my gosh. Like, I, I, I just no, no, this isn't appropriate. This isn't this isn't right. I'm sorry. You, you got to go go on the trip and, and spoil it for them or don't let them go. No. What do you think, Dan? The answer is no, by the way. Counterpoint. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, you should absolutely let your kid go on this trip. This is what? sounds like an amazing trip and an amazing opportunity. And a 17-year-old, an average 17-year-old, will 
benefit so much from a trip like this, and the average 17-year-old will be absolutely fine. I don't disagree with you that you do sometimes hear horror stories about innocents abroad who have horrible things happen to them. But for every one story you hear like that, there are a million kids, mostly European or Asian or South American, who at this age go on extended trips through Europe or through other parts of the world and are absolutely fine and have the times of their lives and build incredible independence and resilience and friendships that last forever. Um, I think this trip is a great idea and a total no-brainer to send this kid on unless you have some reason to think that the kid is really irresponsible. And I'd like to talk about one aspect of that. Jamila, you read the letter as suggesting that the kid wasn't honest this summer um, about his trip to Spain, that it was presented as three weeks with the family, um, but, but actually they snuck away and spent a week and a half traveling. I didn't get that impression at all. I got the impression that the trip was an exchange where he went to Spain for three weeks to be under the aegis of the, that family and whatever decisions they made. And it wasn't that the kid like lied to the parents that he was there. It was that he got there and the family said, all right, for a week and a half of this, you're going to be traveling around with our son. And he was like, great, that sounds right. great. And then when he got home, he told his parents that. And they were like, oh, that's surprising. But I don't, I didn't, she didn't say okay, that the kid it. lied. Yeah. So I don't think the kid lied about that. Now, if I'm wrong. You're right, you're right. What if is the Rotary Club, and why are they telling people not to talk to their parents? <laughs> you should. I think on a trip like this, you shouldn't be talking to your parents. You should be experiencing the country that you're in and not like feeling like you have to check in every second or that your parents feel like they have to check in on you. I don't truly know what the Rotary Club. It is definitely like a white people social thing. Um, this definitely is like a – a affluent person and a white person question. And yes, I totally agree with you on that. But I also think any kid who had the opportunity to do something like this, if they were lucky enough and wealthy enough and fortunate enough to have someone inviting them on a trip like this would really benefit from something like this. I would also say that the, the difference between the Western Europe version that you initially had in your head that you were fine with and the Romania, Poland, Turkey version that it might end up being is basically negligible. Those countries are fine. Those countries are fine to travel to. Even Turkey, where there has been strife, where journalists are getting arrested, your 17-year-old is not a Turkish journalist speaking out against Erdogan. Your 17-year-old will be fine in Turkey. I just think this is an amazing opportunity and you should absolutely let your kid do it. Do they have like a big cousin or somebody? Like, can, can mom just like stay at the hotel and they can be at a hostel or, you know, like, can somebody just be nearby? I don't know. Like, I mean, if it was my kid, lot, like, I definitely would be trying to angle my way in to go on this trip with them because it sounds fun as hell. But I think that, yeah. And, and maybe, you know, if there was just a way to have like somebody a little bit closer, I don't know, like, would you, okay, so you would let your, your would you let one of your daughters go on this trip? Yes. You would? I, I have already gone on the record of this podcast as wishing that my kids, as in, as in fact, wanting to require my kids to take a gap year after high school and travel around the world, like alone. So like, I... Clearly, like I have a maybe a differing philosophy on this issue than than 
other parents, certainly than you and maybe than everyone. I don't know. But like, I just think that doing a trip like this, traveling on your own or with a friend, being wholly responsible for yourself and your goals and yes, your safety are an experience that everyone should have. And I think that a 17-year-old is old enough to have that experience. I mean, it is an amazing opportunity. I wonder, would you, you know, if, if they're from, say, Massachusetts, would they send their child to, you know, Brooklyn for a month or to Georgia or, you know, somewhere in the United States? A lot more likely and, and to get let them be on- shot if you send them somewhere to the United States than if well, you just send them to you, Eastern Europe. Yeah, you're, they're more <laughs> likely to get shot if you send them to Walmart or the movies in the United right. States. But I mean, just like <laughs> the idea of like navigating life on your own sans adult in your own country, right? Like, is that a thing that you would do? Like, and I don't mean like having an internship or something and staying a dorm. Like, would you just let them backpack through California or, you know, Eugene, Oregon? Because people do that. You know, you see a lot of young folks and many of them are sleeping on the street, on the street um, or, or, you know, hopping hostels or whatever. But like, would you be comfortable with that? I Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I mean, I feel like both in both of these versions, the version this kid is thinking about taking and the version of me sending my kids out. These are extremely well funded trips where they don't have to sleep on the street. Like I don't I wouldn't send Lyra on a trip uh, at 17. No, without money. I'm not. I know that it's not the it's not the money at all. You know, and I I know that money is not the concern. I'm just thinking of all the things that, you know, some kids that young could get into. You know what I mean? Like hooking up with a beautiful girl who turns out to be a sex worker or, you know, drinking or or, or smoking or taking something that was not what they thought it was or, or, you know, that they were not equipped to deal with because maybe they've, you know, messed with marijuana but haven't, you know, had some that was really, really strong or, you know, I... I, But all this horrible, like all that bad shit can happen at home too. I just feel like... The risks of going on a trip like this are marginal compared to the risks of everyday life. The The thing that is hardest about it is you as a parent coming to terms with not being able to control the situation. And I agree that that's really hard. But that's a journey that parents have to make too. And I think a trip like this helps everyone in the end ease into the next part of your life, the part where – the kid is now an adult and is living their own life and you, the parent, have a different kind of relationship with them. I just think that the upsides of this are so much greater than the possible downsides that it, to me it seems like an obvious yes. I suppose so. You know, I, I, they know their child better than I do. And, and this is a person who has taken, you know, a, a long international trip without his parents before and spent a good deal of that trip without the supervision of adults. Because apparently in Europe, like, kids just do what the fuck they want. And Apparently so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Sorry, I don't know what the FCC's policy is, but I've just been informed by my daughter that I'm been fined a dollar for the f word that she just heard um this podcast but, uh, may contain explicit language and jamila may have to put a dollar in the swear jar all right i'm delighted by how much we disagreed on this one i'm so curious what this family chooses to do in the end i hope not so nervous mom and dad that you write us back and tell us what you decide and then if your child goes on the trip that you write and tell us how amazing it was 
Um, if you have a question you would like us to answer, once again, please email us at slate.com. All right, now comes the time in the show where we recommend things to you, our listeners. I will go first this time. Um, so, Jamila, do you remember the story maybe last week or the week before about how there were like some parents in Chicago who, uh, in an attempt to get more need-based financial aid for college, were just straight up giving up guardianship of their children and like emancipating their children, separating their finances, and then claiming that their children had no money? Yes. I tried to convince my mother to do this when I was applying for college, but she said no. (laughs) So yes, when that story broke... There was definitely a lot of response online that was like, oh, those Bet parents are hideous. Bet she wishes she did it now. Sorry. I know. Uh, whereas everyone that I know with a kid of like roughly high school age was sort of whispering to each other, ah, shit, that's a good trick. I wish I thought of that. Now it's fucked up for anyone else. No one else can do it. Because paying for college is a total nightmare for anyone who is not a bazillionaire. Um But it's really hard to talk about that because it's a sensitive subject and because no one wants to put their money shit out in the open. So you really have no sense of how you compare with anyone else or whether your circumstances are unique or whether your way of thinking about it or dealing with it is totally fucked up. So my recommendation Mm -hmm. uh, this week is for a new book that has just been published this month uh, by an author named Caitlin Zaloom, and it's called Indebted, How Families Make College Work at Any Cost. Um, It is a Mm. reported look at a whole bunch of different families around the country uh, and how they paid for college, what they paid for college, all the stuff they had to fill out, the sacrifices that they made, the decisions they made, good and bad. And all these families really get into the nitty gritty of everything that they went through. Zaloom got people to really open up and like – put their money shit out there in the open. And as a result, it's a very eye-opening book. It's super interesting. Um, So my recommendation, especially if you are approaching this time as we are, uh, and we won't have any money for college because of the braces that we're paying for our children, uh, check out Indebted by Caitlin Zaloom. Uh, I'll have a link on the show page and we'll post it on Facebook as well. Jamila, do you have a recommendation for us? I do. Um, I took my daughter to see Dora and the Lost City of Gold a couple days ago. And I have to say, you know, oftentimes when we go to the movies together, um, it's an opportunity for me to catch up on email or texting or Twitter or, you know, just to kind of rest a little bit and get a little quiet. And I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I enjoyed it more. Well, I don't want to say I enjoyed it more than she did. I saw the entire movie. Um, she <laughs> fell asleep. But we, we went to a late show, to be fair. Um, I got to town a little bit later than expected. But it was really good. They, they did. It was funny. Um, they did a... They... Um, Sorry. Okay, they can't hear you, Naima, so you can't tell all the jokes in the movie. Okay, um, you don't want to spoil the. You don't want to spoil it because people want to. I want the people to take their kids to see it. Um, they talked about colonization and, um, you know, the the difference between exploring and treasure hunting and and having reverence for. Because in the film, Dora's parents are explorers and they're looking literally for this. Um, you know, city in the jungle that is inhabited by its indigenous people and they don't have contact with the outside world. And 
um, but but they don't have any desire to take from it or interrupt their way of life. And, you know, they end up going down, like getting kidnapped. And, you know, there's somebody who's trying to take these, these people's gold and they're trying to protect themselves. And Dora and her little, and her cousin and her new high school um, classmates end up like, searching for her parents and for this lost city. And it's just really, it, it, it's a really interesting. Yeah, well, the, spoiler alert in the background. Sorry, Diego does end up with a little girlfriend and she's very cute. It's just a really lovely movie and, and surprisingly funny. Um, there's a fun nod to the cartoon about halfway through. Uh, it, it's just a really good, it's a good film. That's delightful to hear. I had a real love-hate relationship with Dora when my kids were Dora age, when they were watching that show regularly. Um, Mm -hmm. And I have been so intrigued by this notion of like a middle-grade version of Dora um, with with as a live action adventure. And I was hopeful that it would not be terrible. And I'm delighted to hear that it is uh, cute and charming. Yes, and there and there's there are some very funny because she's sixteen, and there's some funny. You know, it opens up with her and her cousin being six and and parting ways and not seeing each other. You know, basically for a decade. And there there are some very funny uh, nods to what probably drove you crazy about Dora the Explorer, the cartoon, which is mm-hmm. her looking at the camera and saying, "Can you say right? Can you say <laughs> delicioso?" Like they 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 um they make fun of that in a really Just cute clip. Tell me one thing. Does the backpack sing? The um, there is a moment in which the backpack um, it, it's during a. I don't want to completely spoil it, but they um, they encounter some hallucinogenic plants or something, <laughs> and, and at one point, and they turn into the cartoon, and it is funny, and that is when you see you know some of the stuff that you saw uh, in the cartoon happening, including I think the talking backpack. That is great. Uh, All right. Great recommendation. Thank you. Uh, That is our show, ladies and gentlemen. If you have a question you'd like to ask us on the air, leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or email us at slate.com. Join us on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting over on Facebook.com. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Jess Jupiter for Jamila Lemieux and Naima. I'm Dan Coyce. Thanks for listening.